Hello, I'm Chris Gervin and I'm part of the Evening Congregation. The reading today comes from John chapter 3 and we're reading verses 13 to, through to 18. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Who remembers New Year's Eve 1999, the end of the millennium? It's pretty exciting. There's a lot going on. Some people were talking about the, the possible collapse of the economy because of the Y2K bug. Remember that? If you've never heard of it, just Google it. Uh, there was all this kind of panic and then, of course, nothing happened. Uh, and then some people were going even further, talking about global apocalypse. And then there were those who were just worried about the New Year's Eve fireworks on Sydney Harbour. Would it be better than all of the previous years? It was pretty amazing. But the following morning, uh, when we woke up, the thing that everyone was talking about was the word that was blazing on the Harbour Bridge at midnight in 10-storey high letters. Eternity. And friends, that's something that for thousands of years people in most cultures and faiths have had a fascination about. Uh, at least, what kind of personal existence might we have beyond death? Today, we're going to explore what Jesus has to say about it. Now, it's hugely important for every one of us, not just because of that kind of annoying statistic that one in one people eventually die, so we should be ready, uh, but because every single one of us have lost friends and relatives who we really loved and cared about. Where are they now? Where will you and I be? So we're going to have a look at what Jesus has to say. Because Can he offer any hope and help and clarity in this issue? Friends, as we look at such an important topic, let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Father, we need to build our lives on the sure foundation of your truth. So please help us to understand your word to trust your word, and to measure everything we hear against your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we need to do is work out exactly what we're talking about. Uh, because the trouble is, none of us have ever been to heaven. We're all still on earth, so we don't really know from experience what we're talking about. It's kind of like playing a game of philosophical pin the tail on the donkey, describing something that we've never seen or experienced. Well, we need someone who's been there to tell us all about it. Look at what we just read. Verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus. He can tell us the truth about heaven because that's where he's from. Uh, and then after his death and resurrection, that's where he ascended back to. That's where he is right now. So my goal today is to share his ideas, not my ideas. So please do listen carefully and, dare I say, uh, critically, check out what I'm saying because it's so important. One of our problems today 
is that there's so many uh, different ideas around us. Uh, and so many people have adopted a variety of ideas that are actually in direct conflict with what Jesus tells us. Uh, and that whatever we believe about eternity, here's the, here's the thing, uh, it, it impacts and shapes the way we live in the present. So as we start, I just want to flag three of these conflicting ideas so that we can see if any of them have taken root in our hearts in any kind of way. Now, number one is atheism. Now, it might sound strange talking to people who believe in God about atheism and how it might affect us, but but listen, listen to this. If God doesn't exist, then of course heaven doesn't exist. Uh, this life is all there is. And then you die and just, you know, become dirt. Uh, John Lennon captured, I think, this very well in his song, Imagine. Listen to the words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. And then the very next line captures so well the morality that this kind of belief produces. Imagine all the people living for today. That's the fruit of atheism. It's all we see all around us. And we're tempted by ourselves. Living now as though there is nothing beyond this life. It shows up in a thousand little lifestyle choices. Friends, that's the opposite of what Jesus has to say. The second one I want to mention is, is universalism. Now, this is the belief that everyone or everything will eventually end up in heaven. Even Satan in some versions of it. Now, it stems from an emphasis on God's mercy and love and generosity at the expense of his holiness and his justice. That often surfaces in, in comments like, oh, surely so-and-so will be in heaven, they're such a lovely person. Or, how could God punish anyone in hell forever? These are good questions, they're emotional questions. And God gives us answers in his word. But I guess the question for us is, are we willing to trust him, his wisdom, his goodness in it all? God's truth can bring extraordinary comfort to our lives, but can also challenge us to the core. In the long run, holding on to his truth is far less painful than believing a, comfort, a comforting lie. The third one I want to mention is relativism. Now, this is the belief that there is no truth that applies to all people in all time. In other words, there's, there's no one true religion. Uh, there's no universal moral code. Uh, beliefs and morality, they're really just a product of our, our culture and of our individual choices. So we hear things like, be true to yourself, follow your heart. Isn't that a common one? It's our culture, isn't it? Uh, it impacts our thinking about heaven because death is such a horrid reminder that we are not in control, that we don't make the rules. And we are, when we're devastated by loss and grief, we crave comfort and hope. And we so easily latch onto any idea that, that eases our pain, even if it doesn't make much sense when we stop and think about it. Truth becomes so subjective. It's true if it's true for you. And we live by the moral code of whatever makes you happy. Friends, this is not the way of Christ. And such thinking robs so many people 
of the peace, the joy, the comfort and hope that he offers. Friends, Jesus knows everything about heaven because that's his home. His teaching shines hope into our pain and it brings clarity where there once was confusion. He tells us everything we need to know about heaven and how we can be a part of it. Let's have a look at it. Verse 14 says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Having finished our series in John's Gospel last week, we know that he's talking about being lifted up on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. It's our sin, our desire to reject God and his rule over us and be the boss of our own identity. It's our sin. That's what separates us from God. That's why sin is so serious. That's why Jesus had to die to save us. But everyone who puts their trust in Jesus has eternal life. The next verse sums it up so well. The most famous verse of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What was God's motivation? Love. Who was it for? Everyone. What was the cost? The life of Jesus. What was his goal? Eternal life for us. How do we receive it? Believing in Jesus. And what's the alternative? Perish. Separated from God forever. Verse 17 clarifies God's motivation even more. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's the heart of God right there. One of the things John emphasizes, I think more than the other Gospels, is the importance of our own individual response to Jesus. And that's why I like the idea of, I uh, heard this years ago, of putting your name in to John 3.16 like this. For God so loved Peter, that he gave his one and only son, that if Pete believes in him, Pete will not perish, but Pete will have eternal life. Say it with your name and let God's truth sink into your head and your heart. And know for certain that our response to Jesus determines our eternal destiny. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And if all that wasn't clear enough, in John 14 verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the way to heaven. But what's heaven like? Where is it? Where, where are we going to be? I'm going to take us through some passages that are going to help us so that we can be filled with real and eager expectation for what is ahead of us and a godly focus while we wait. Now, this could be a whole sermon series, really, but I'm just going to give you five points, and here's the first one. We will know God fully. The closest thing we have to a definition of eternal life is this. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
at the very heart of John's understanding of eternal life is a personal and living relationship with God himself through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But in this life, our knowledge of God is so limited. That's why Paul says this. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now we often joke about questions that we're going to ask God when we eventually get to heaven. Uh, you've probably got your own list. But when we get there, I think we're going to have such a complete peace because everything will make sense. We'll understand his perfect plan fully when we see him face to face. Those questions just will dissolve. The second point flows from this. We will be with God permanently. Revelation 21 says this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. You might be thinking, well, there'll be over like a billion people in heaven by the time I get there. Uh, we'll be so far back. We'll be like the back row seats at an Ed Sheeran concert at Wembley Stadium. Uh, but the next verse in Revelation shows us just how intimate our experience will be. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. In heaven, God is personally present with every single person forever. And the third point is that, that we will worship God perfectly. Every activity of heaven will be an expression of our worship together. Now, if you have this idea of heaven that it's all about you and what you want and that you'll be, what you'll be able to see and do and eat and experience then you've got the wrong perspective. It's like taking a picture of the Grand Canyon, except that you ca you, your phone's in selfie mode. Uh, heaven is all about God, seeing him and experiencing his greatness. He's the focus. He's the centre. He's the one we worship. Many years ago, I was in a tin shed during a big thunderstorm with about a thousand other Christians, and we were singing Shout to the Lord. Remember that song? It was awesome. Uh, but not even close to the joy, the unit, unity, the exhilaration of heaven. Listen to John's description in Revelation chapter 7. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If you're honest, though, it's hard to imagine that in every thought, every word, every deed, you could ever perfectly glorify God. We're so sinful. But our fourth point is a wonderful promise from God. We will be made perfect. Listen to Philippians chapter 1. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here on earth, 
We're all just a work in progress. But in heaven, there'll be no more shame or fear or painful memories. We won't have sleepless nights worrying about a sick child or a dying relative or an outstanding debt or if it's safe to go outside and see people. We won't be plagued by doubts about ourselves or others. In fact, our relationships between each other will be perfect as well. The Bible uses marriage as a metaphor to help us understand the close relationship with Christ and the church. And it describes heaven as being like this wedding banquet, never-ending wedding banquet. Whether you're married or not, like just imagine for a moment the best moment in the best relationship you've, you've got. It's only a shadow of what is waiting for us in heaven. Even our physical bodies will be changed, ready for heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Or what was Jesus like? After the resurrection, his physical body had been raised and yet changed. He was recognisable. He still knew and, and related to his disciples. In fact, just last week, we, we saw that he had a barbecue on the beach with them. But his body was changed, unrestricted, indestructible, perfectly fit for eternity. So 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains that we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. So not only is heaven perfect, but we will be made perfect as well in heart, in mind, and even in our, our body. Now lastly, those previous four points, and I could have added a dozen more, uh, they give us some idea of what heaven is like. But the final point I want to share is this. Heaven is better than anything we can possibly think or imagine. Paul says so when he quotes Isaiah. As the scriptures say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Nothing you've imagined. No mountaintop view, no joy-filled moment, no moment of exhilarating excitement, no intimacy with a loved one, not your favourite piece of art or music. Nothing we've seen, heard or experienced comes close to what God has prepared for us in heaven. It's amazing. One of the first times I met my wife, Judy, she was doing a skit at a youth rally with her identical twin sister. Now, they were dressed up as unborn babies in the wombs, swinging around, and they're arguing about whether there was life beyond birth. One was sort of saying, no way, this is all there is. And the other was convinced that there was something far better on the other side. It was such a clever illustration. Last year, my dear wife died and went to be with the Lord Jesus. One phrase that has really helped me in my grief comes from a verse in Philippians. Paul's talking about heaven and he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Better by far. 
my dear Jude and every other believer who has died is now with God in the better by far. As much as I'd love to see her, it'd be cruel to bring her back here. But it's a joy to know that because we believe in Jesus, and I hope that you do, we will all one day be there together in the better by far. During the best experiences of life, people sometimes say, I don't want this to ever end, but inevitably it does. In the perfection and glory of heaven, I can imagine someone might say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. <laughs>